It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours, going live until 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Eastern. If you're on the gorgeous West Coast, you're waking up very early with us. We appreciate that. Very excited for you to join us on this Thursday, a jam-packed Thursday show. The NBA postseason technically hasn't started. With the play-in not part of the actual postseason, but we have two of the final four teams already punching their tickets. The Boston Celtics taking care of business against the Wizards on Tuesday night, and last night we got a thriller. Lakers, Warriors, a better game, I'll be honest, than I even expected. I thought the uh, the Lakers were going to handle business and convincingly. Beat the Warriors and said they win by three, 103 100. They punch their ticket as a seven seed. will take on the Suns in the first round. Two more postseason spots up for grabs the next two days. Eastern Conference playing tonight, tomorrow, the Western Conference playing. So we were almost at the postseason, but boy, have we already got some drama to discuss. We'll get into all of it here within the next two hours. How many title contenders are there in the NBA? I think there are five. I'll tell you who those five are. Two teams. On upset alert already, I'll tell you who those two teams are. We have some baseball. As always, the age-old discussion. Old school versus new school. Unwritten rules versus playing the game and having fun. Who will win out? We'll tell you the latest controversy. And why the new school is now always winning over the old school as well. Would you root for your team or against your team if they're getting no hit? We'll discuss that. We have a ton to get into here for the next two hours. Very excited that you are joining us here, either on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, and Ryan Hickey Show is where you can find the show um, being streamed as well. We're on YouTube Live, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, live on our app, WWSRN if you have an iPhone, Worldwide Sports Radio Network if you are, uh, have an Android. So we appreciate it. However you are listening to the show on this Thursday morning, as a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, Classic New York Pizza Joint also in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So what I want to start the show with today is the Western Conference made a big mistake, specifically two teams, the Clippers and the Nuggets. They both made a huge mistake in thinking it was smart for them to play the Lakers later on in the postseason, then facing them right away in the first round. I'm not the only one who thinks that, though. Yet Lakers forward Jared Dudley. I want to play what Jared Dudley had to say here to start before even last night's game. After the season finale on Sunday, he was kind of asked because when you watched on Sunday, the last day of the regular season, the Lakers were trying to avoid the playing tournament. They currently were the seventh seed. They needed the Blazers to lose, the Nuggets to win. If that was to happen, the Nuggets would have been uh, in third place, the Portland Trailblazers would have slid to seventh, the Lakers would have moved up to six. you would have had a Nuggets-Lakers first-round series 3-6. Instead, both the, Lake, uh, both the Clippers excuse me, and the Nuggets 
lost Sunday on purpose. They were trying to avoid the Lakers. And to me, that is a big, big mistake. But don't even take it from me. How about we hear from a guy who knows a thing or two about the Lakers team? That's Jared Dudley. He also said it was a big mistake for the rest of the West to try to be avoiding the Lakers early on. Here's what Jared Dudley had to say the other day. If I was actually those teams, I'd want to play us early. I didn't want you to play where LeBron James is coming off an ankle injury, where they're trying to find their chemistry. I mean, do you, you think that we're going to be better later or, or better now? I mean, the more chemistry and more games, the stronger we get. We're not going to get worse later on. We, we're going to get you know, with that. So if I was a team, I'd want to play us right away. Jared Dudley is 100% right. And guess what? I don't have to go far to show you why he's 100% right. Let's look at last night's game. The play-in game between the Lakers and the Warriors. You watch that game last night. Do the Lakers look formidable to you? Do the Lakers look like this juggernaut that's going to blow everyone in the West out of the water? For the first three quarters, even for the first three and a half quarters, LeBron James looked very, very rusty. You heard on the broadcast a few times, Jeff Van Gundy say he doesn't look explosive. He's not driving hard to the rim. He's not flying above the rim being physical, getting a lot of lift, getting a lot of jump from that ankle. And for three, three and a half quarters, LeBron struggled. Anthony Davis, speaking of the first three quarters, that guy couldn't hit water from a boat. He was missing gimmies. He was missing short jumpers. He was missing long jumpers. He was missing open threes. Anthony Davis, despite being in the lineup you know, and returning and playing more games recently than LeBron James, he looked very, very rusty. He even looked, honestly, not confident. Some of those missed shots were straight up just lack of confidence. Yet Dennis Schroeder, recently coming off, or coming out of, I should say, the health and safety protocols, he's still trying to get his legs under him. They had to bench him in crunch time for Alex Caruso, who, credit to Alex Caruso, played great last night, don't get me wrong. But you had Dennis Schroeder as your number one ball handle, your guy who gets the offense going, as point guard one, he was benched because he wasn't effective. So when you look at last night, you look at this Lakers team trying to work back into playing shape, trying to get themselves back into contention, into playing like a team that could win a title. Well, to me, the longer you let this team stick around, the longer the Lakers have to mesh and gel and, and get their footing and feel comfortable and get continuity back on the court, the more difficult it's going to be to beat them. Giving LeBron James more time to ramp up, more time to get comfortable on the court, more time to get familiarity back with Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell, whoever is playing center. That's not conducive to success if you're the Clippers or if you're the Nuggets or really if you're anyone in the West. As we know, the Western Conference, in the Western Conference, I should say, the Lakers are by far the most talented team. Not a hot take, really not up for debate, right? Anthony Davis and LeBron James, by far the best one-two punch in the Western Conference. So talent-wise, the Lakers, when they are healthy, have an advantage over everybody else. But the one thing right now the West has an advantage over compared to the Lakers is continuity. Is even health, for the most part. And right now, by trying to duck the Lakers, which is what a lot of teams try to do, by wanting to push the inevitability of playing them to as far down the road as possible, Western Conference Finals, second round, the last thing teams wanted to do is play the Lakers in the first round. That is a massive, massive mistake.
Because again, LeBron James, as we've seen, he's a slow starter. He is a slow starter, but guess what? When he turns it on, when he gets going, when he gets that engine going, look out, because you are in trouble. He always finishes the year stronger than he starts. So because he's out for so long, because he's out for six weeks and then miss another week re-injuring the ankle, right? Let's just, for argument's sake, pretend like this is the start of a new season for LeBron James because his routine has been thrown off. He's been out for so long that he's basically starting now from the ground, from the ground floor right? in terms of trying to get back into playing shape, trying to build himself to get back to playing top-level LeBron James playoff basketball like we've seen really for the last decade. So when you look at LeBron, how he starts the year, right? Let's look at his splits in October, November, when the season starts, when the regular season starts, compared to April, when the regular season ends. Well, when you look at his numbers in October, November, compared to April, April, LeBron James has a higher field goal percentage than he does in November. He has a higher free throw percentage than he does at the beginning of the year. He has a higher usage rate, higher offensive rating, more minutes played, more points per game, more rebounds per game in April than he does in October and November. LeBron James only gets better as the year goes on, and we have so many years, such a massive sample size to point to here. This is not a one-year wonder. This is what LeBron James has done in his career, and it's why I continue to bring up the point ad nauseum, and I will do it again here. For the first time in LeBron's career, heading to this postseason, he is off schedule. This is a guy who uses the entire regular season as a warm-up for the postseason. It's not an accident that he starts off slow. It's not a coincidence that his numbers in October and November are career-wise way lower than they are in April when the regular season ends and the playoffs begin. He's a guy who sees this season as a marathon. He doesn't sprint out of the finish, you know, out of the gate, I should say. He's not the guy to lead everyone in MVP and points per game and making the best highlights the first 10 games, 20 games, 30 games of the year. He knows the ultimate goal is to play his best with, uh, at game 82, or in this case, in this year, game 72, or in the postseason. So he takes it slow. He ramps his body up. So by the time the postseason comes, when others are tired, when other players maybe have started off hopping, now they're starting to fade away, when their legs are heavy and tired, LeBron feels light. LeBron is playing the best basketball of the season because he has a way of training himself to have that happen every postseason. But you need the entire regular season to do so. Now, again, missing the last six weeks or really seven weeks of the season, to where he has only played five games. That's it, the last two months of the year. He has only played, including last night, five games. He's going to start off slow. He's not one of those guys that could just, boom, come in like it's flawless, like we've seen Kevin Durant do in Brooklyn, come miss three weeks and come like it's nothing, like he didn't miss a second of time. LeBron needs time to ramp up. He needs time to get comfortable, get his footing back. So to me, it makes all the sense in the world. You capitalize on his slow start. You capitalize that he's only, again, played five games in two months. You use that to your advantage if you are the Clippers, if you are the Nuggets, if you're the Blazers, if you're any team in the West. Because I think you realize if any other team, any of the eight teams that are going to make the playoffs want to win a championship that's not the Lakers, they realize they got to take down the Lakers early. Why would you want to let LeBron get his motor going in round one, in round two, and if you're the Clippers, want to face him in the Western Conference Finals? 
instead of playing around one, instead of doing whatever you could to get your shot at the king right away because you know that's when he's at his weakest. Because I will say this, you let the Lakers get going here. And right now, with the way the seeding has broken down in their bracket, they are going to get going, and it's going to be too late before any team can knock them off. But let's quickly look at, at their road here right now. They have Phoenix in round one now that they won last night. That's a great matchup. That's arguably the best matchup for the Lakers in round number one. Los Angeles, more physical, bigger team, way more playoff experience than the Suns. Even just a few weeks ago, I know it's one game, I understand it's the regular season, but no LeBron James. Anthony Davis still trying to work his way back into playing shape, into you know getting peak AD like we've seen in the playoffs last year in the bubble. He dropped 42 points on Phoenix a few weeks ago. The Lakers can handle the Suns, and I think they will beat them. So now you advance to round number two, where you're playing either the Nuggets or the Blazers, and by that point, it might already be too late. If the Lakers could take down the two seed in the Suns, and again, I think they will, and a lot of people will predict them too. The momentum already might be too much, but if it's not, if it's not overwhelming at that point, where there's still some rust from LeBron, the Lakers still aren't, you know, up to speed, still a little clunky, but they get past the Suns. Well, now in round two, you got a, a, either a banged up Nuggets team without Jamal Murray that, to be fair, has been playing well, but now in the postseason, I think that's where the Jamal Murray loss really does come into effect. Or you have a Trailblazers team that sits in the Norman Powell trade, has played better both offensively and defensively, but that is another matchup where I think the Lakers are busy, uh, bigger, more physical, and we saw it just last year in the bubble. The, the, uh, the Blazers have no answer for Anthony Davis. Yusuf Nurkic, a nice player, can't slow down Anthony Davis. The size overwhelmed Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. That's another series where I think either way, Nuggets or Blazers, the Lakers are, are moving on. And now you could either face the Jazz or the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals and honestly, I like the Jazz. I like the Clippers. I am buying in. Maybe it's a mistake on my part. I am buying in on the Clippers this year. But with that said, by the time the Lakers continue to go, and I think they're making the Western Conference Finals, I was dead wrong. I'll be honest. A few weeks ago, I said, hey, they're not going to make it out of the second round of the Lakers. When you look at the playoff seating, when you look at the way the bracket shake, uh, shake, uh, shakes out, shook out, to me, the Lakers are definitely now at the minimum, going to the Western Conference Finals. So it could be already too late. If you're the Clippers, if you're the Jazz, if you meet LeBron and AD and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, you may already have no shot. Why? Because you let LeBron, you let AD, you let this Lakers team get rolling. You let him get rolling. You had a chance to knock him out. They are a wounded duck right now. You have LeBron James playing on one ankle. He got poked in the eye last night. He's joking about seeing three rims. He's talking about wearing an eye patch against the Suns. This guy's one eye and one ankle. Would you rather play a, a one-eyed and one-ankled LeBron James now? Or would you rather wait? Let him get healthy. Let him get his rhythm back. Let him get warmed up like he historically has done throughout his entire career. So by the time we are 10 games from now, let's say, maybe even 12 games from now, depending on how some of these series go, I, I am going to go on a limb here and say LeBron is going to play a hell of a lot better in 12 games from now than he would on Saturday in round number one against the Suns. So it is a massive mistake, a massive mistake, 
to try to avoid the Lakers and push it down the road, kick that can down the road, if you will, and want to play him in round two in the Western Conference Finals. The best shot to knock the Lakers off was in round one before they got to the, you know, before they ended up being in the play-in. And now when you see the way it shakes out, this Lakers team is going to the Western Conference Finals. And you know what? I'm going to have a hard time picking against them, whether it's the Jazz, whether it's the Clippers. If you get that momentum, it may already be too late. So love to hear your thoughts. How far do you think the Lakers are going? Facebook, you can comment Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, you can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter as well. If you want to get involved there, or if you're watching the live stream on Twitter, hey, just comment right there, nice and easy. How far do you think the Lakers will go in the postseason? I went from two weeks ago saying they won't make it out of the second round to they are going to the Western Conference Finals at a bare minimum. Bare minimum. Last night, the Warriors winning that game, sending the Lakers to the second playing game where they would have beaten the, uh, the Grizzlies. Then they have to take on the Jazz and the Clippers in rounds one and two. That, to me, would have been a whole lot tougher. The West would have had a way better shot than they do right now where it's Suns in round one, Nuggets, Blazers in round two, then either or Clippers or Jazz. One or the other, not both. This has broken LA's way big time. It's going to be a runaway train soon, and I'm not sure any team in the West can slow them down. So I'd love to hear your thoughts again. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. How deep will the Lakers go this postseason? How far will they go? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Again, you comment on Facebook, comment on Twitter. When we come back, speaking of the NBA playoffs, we have six, or I'm sorry, what is it? 14. 14 of the 16 teams set. How many title contenders are there? How many teams can win a championship this year? My answer, five. I'll tell you who those teams are when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Western Conference, specifically the Nuggets, the Clippers have made a massive mistake. They have messed up Big time. Avoiding the Lakers early on. You saw last night. The Lakers are still trying to work their way back into playing shape. They look like a team last night as they defeat the Warriors in the play-in game to clinch a seven seed. They look like a team that hasn't played together in three months. Which, guess what? They basically haven't outside of two or three games. They're still trying to work themselves back all the way to getting 100%. Still trying to get that continuity and familiarity that they've missed out the last three months. Trying to get it back on the fly here. And guess what? They could do it quickly. But the rest of the Western Conference let them off the hook. By the Clippers trying to avoid the Lakers. By the Nuggets trying to avoid the Lakers. By teams basically ducking the Lakers. 
until the second round, until the Western Conference Finals, to me is a big mistake. This team is gettable right now. The longer you wait, the stronger they get. So if you had the Clippers in round one, I would take the Clippers in that series probably nine times out of ten. I would feel pretty confident with the team they have right now, with the way the Lakers are playing right now, you could take them down. But instead, the Clippers got scared, ducked. The Nuggets got scared, ducked. And now, the longer this team goes, by getting a favorable matchup in round number one against the Suns, by playing either a banged-up Nuggets team or a smaller, less physical Trailblazers team, the Lakers are going to the Western Conference Finals at the bare minimum. And honestly, by the time they get to the Western Conference Finals, whether it's the Jazz, whether it's the Clippers, I like both of those teams. And honestly, I'd pick them early on if they were taking the Lakers. By that point, if you give LeBron an extra 12, 13 games to get back into rhythm, have Anthony Davis continue to progress his game, Dennis Schroeder get his legs back, get the continuity about this entire Lakers team that they obviously were missing last night, if you let them get that mojo back, by the time you see them, it might be too late. They might be already unbeatable if they get through the first two series. They have the most talent of anyone in the West. They have the best one-two punch of any team in the West. But right now, they are vulnerable. And to me, the Western Conference let them off the hook. They let them off the hook. To quote Denny Green, this team is going to get better and stronger as the postseason goes on. And man, I went from two weeks ago saying they're not even going to make it out of the second round of the playoffs. You could have had a first-round matchup with the Clippers, which I would have thought would have been a disaster for the Lakers. And instead, they get basically the playoff bracket fall perfectly their way. Fall perfectly their way. So to me, massive mistake. Last night just highlights that. The chance to beat the Lakers, if you want to dethrone the champs, the chance to do that was last night was in round one. The longer you wait, the better they get. LeBron James, historically in his career, starts off slow, finishes strong. With all the time he has missed, he's essentially starting off the year slow. We're going to call this a new year for him. Well, you let him get 10 games, 12 games, 14 games under his belt. I'm going to go on a limb here. He's going to play a lot better in the Western Conference Finals than he did last night. Than he might even in round one against the Suns. Big mistake. By the Clippers, by the Nuggets, by the West to basically let the Lakers walk into the Western Conference Finals. So let's see your thoughts. Do you agree, disagree? It was the best team to beat the Lakers in round one. Was it last night? How far do you think this Lakers team can go in the postseason? Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Love to hear your thoughts. We'll circle back to that topic throughout the entirety of the show. How far can the Lakers go in the postseason? But speaking of the postseason, right? Now that we are here. Now that we are just two days away from the NBA postseason starting on Saturday. How many teams can win a championship? Which teams are on upset alert? Well, good news. We have answers here on the Ryan Hickey Show. That's why you come to us. We, uh, we give you questions. You have questions. We try to deliver answers. So now that we are here, we're going to do a little playoff tiers. I'll start with NBA contenders. How many teams can win a title? In my mind, the answer, five. 
five teams, that's it, could win a title. Two in the East, three in the West. Let's start in the East, the Sixers. Joel Embiid, to me, has been great this year. He is probably the runner-up to MVP behind Nicole Jokic. Probably would have won the award if he stayed healthy all season long. Obviously, we know he could not do that. Embiid has been great. Team, This team defensively has been absolutely tremendous. Second in defensive rating in all the NBA. I am buying into the Sixers I am. I understand that a lot of people have gotten burned in the past, kind of buying into the Sixers playoff style. I do, I do think they have enough three-point shooting. Like the versatility they have on defense. I like the fact they have home court advantage. Again, despite the fact that now we're going to have limited fans, it's not going to be a sold-out arena. The Sixers this year, just like last year, dominant home team. Dominant home team. Eh, road team. Below average, especially last year, just brutal uh, road team. Home court and you avoid the Clippers. I am the Clippers. The Nets or the Bucks in round two. You only play one of them, not both. Sixers to me absolutely are title contenders, absolutely can win the championship this year. Bucks. How about the Bucks? Maybe I'm making a mistake and, and believing them. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We saw the last two years what's happened to the Bucks in the postseason. Their style has been exposed. It's a great regular season system, but not a great postseason system. There are a lot of flaws there that can be exposed over two weeks. But the Bucs this year, I do like their approach. They're top 10 in both offensive rating and defensive rating. Obviously, as we know, the defense, especially in the postseason, struggles. Offense doesn't really get going. But they did address that in a big way this offseason. Drew Holiday coming in. To me, this is where the Drew Holiday edition really does reap the benefits. You get him for the postseason because now you finally get a bona fide ball handler. Someone who can start the offense, get it going, and get Giannis the ball when he's working off the ball, not have him bring it up and basically start the offense like we've seen in previous postseason. So I'm buying into the Bucks. I like the holiday edition, a uh, holiday edition, excuse me. And I do think that they have used last year as a legitimate learning experience where, hey, the regular season doesn't matter as much if you're the Bucks. You are going to be a great team, as you know. They weren't fighting, well, they were fighting for seeding, but they weren't uh, sprinting to the number one seed. They realized, hey, we got to figure out a system and work through it that will work in the postseason. That's what I think a lot of this regular season was, was fine-tuning and kind of figuring out postseason strategies. And I think it will pay benefits here in the playoffs. So those are the only two teams I have in the East that can win a title. We'll get to the Nets here in a second. I know you're questioning why I don't have the Nets. I'll get to them in a second. But Sixers and Bucks in the East. In the West, look, the Lakers, we just talked about them. They're the best team when healthy in the NBA. They have the most talent in my mind at least in the Western Conference. Best defensive team in the NBA. And the longer you let them go, the, the favorable matchup that they got with the Suns in round one, Nuggets, Blazers in round two, and or in round number three, either the Jazz or Clippers, that is a massive benefit for the Lakers. They are vulnerable right now. I don't think they'll get got. They will get better, get more steam as the season goes. They absolutely can defend their title and become the lowest seed ever to win a championship. The Clippers, like I said before, I am buying it. Maybe this is, a, you know, a getting fooled again by kind of believing in the Clippers and Paul George, what they've done in the regular season. But the Clippers have everything in place to win a title. They're the best three-point shooting team in terms of field goal percentage in the NBA. They're one of the best in NBA history this year as a team. Not Paul George individually, not Kawhi Leonard just by himself. As a team collectively, 
The Clippers shot 41.1% from three this year. 41.1 as a team. One of the highest field goal percentages from three in NBA history. As we know, the three-point shot now is what leads to success. Because of that three-point field goal percentage, they're third in offensive rating in the NBA, eighth in defensive rating. So similar to the Bucs, top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. And like I said, I am believing in Paul George. I think last year served as a massive wake-up call for him, for Kawhi Leonard, for the Clippers organization that, hey, you can't just have talent. You got to have chemistry. You got to have this team like each other. I think to me, that's the biggest learning point they learned from the bubble last year. They have the talent to, to win a title. They have the talent easily to win a title. They need the chemistry. They need the smaller, fine-tuned points to round into form here. I think that's what will happen with the Clippers. I do think they can absolutely win a title. And the last team, the fifth out of five teams, I think can truly win a title this year. Sixers, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, the Utah Jazz. We have seen now, really since, I mean, you could make the argument, I guess it started with the big three in Boston, then the Heat took it to another level, then the Warriors took it to a whole other level. Team basketball in the postseason works. The Jazz play tremendous team basketball. They spread the ball around and never get stuck. It's like hot potato, bing, bang, boom, passing to the open guy, making the extra pass. They make the most threes per game in the NBA, 16.7, a great three-point shooting team. They're the only team in the NBA, the only one, one out of one, that are top five in both offensive and defensive rating. We have the Clippers and Bucks top 10. Jazz, though, only one top five in both categories. They shoot the ball really well. They're efficient. They play great defense. Rudy Gobert, as we know, is a great rim protector. That allows everyone else to fan out. They have a great bench in Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. The Clipper, I mean, the, the Jazz play tremendous team basketball, and that does translate. I think that will work well in the postseason. I do. So that's it. I have five title contenders. Jazz, Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, Sixers. Those are my title contenders. We'll move to another tier. How about series grinders? Teams that won't win a championship. Teams that maybe will win a series or two, but when they get eliminated, whenever they lose, it's going to be a hell of a battle. And the team that wins and advances is going to feel banged up, bruised, and tired. One of these teams I have for them, the Knicks. And I'll ask you this question. Does any team play harder in the NBA than the New York Knicks? They are all up in your grill defensively. They don't let you get any space. They are first this year in the NBA in opponent field goal percentage, opponent three-point field goal percentage, and opponent point per game. Tom Thibodeau has come in here and injected life into this team, turned an incompetent team into a competent, smart, defensive-minded, tough team. Julius Randle is going to make an All-Pro or All-NBA team this year. Excuse me. He's been an All-Star. He's been tremendous. R.J. Bowder has taken a huge step in year number two. Emmanuel quickly has had a solid rookie season. Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock have been tremendous additions for this team. The Knicks are going to be a tough out. I think they'll beat the Hawks, which means they will most likely, barring a, a Heat Bucks upset, they'll take on the Sixers. Sixers are going to win. I'm not picking the Knicks by far. But this is going to be a tough battle. Even if the Sixers win in five, every game to me is going to be tightly contested, grinds it out. They're going to have to earn it. The Knicks play like that, so do the Miami Heat. Bucks are going to have their hands full 
in round number one. You can make the argument, this is the one opponent the Bucks didn't want to see. Out of the eight teams in the playoffs, you could play in round one. The Heat were the one team. The Bucks were like, ah, you know what, we'll pass. Let's take anyone else. 33-19, and 19, the Miami Heat are this year when Jimmy Butler is in the lineup. And guess what? He is going to be in the lineup in the postseason. I do think the Bucks are going to win. But this is a team that the Heat are not going to go quietly. They play tough, smart, similar to the Knicks, hard defense, very smart basketball team, very gritty. They, make, they, they shoot the ball re really well. Heat are going to be a tough, tough out. So series grinders, love to hear your thoughts. How many teams can win a title in your mind? I have five. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show or Worldwide Sports Network, which is WWSRN underscore radio. If you're watching on Facebook, we appreciate you there. Comment on the live stream right there on Facebook. How many title contenders can win? We'll circle back to your thoughts here. But speaking of series grinders, so I have four teams that are just going to be a, a grind out, a rock fight, if you will. I love that term. We're talking about a lot, really most about college basketball. When it's two just tough, gritty teams, it's going to be a rock fight. The Knicks, the Heat, the Nuggets. Well, the Nuggets are definitely in this category. Now, I'll be honest. I, well, one, I was buying into the Nuggets before the Jamal Murray injury. I underestimated what Aaron Gordy would bring to this team. They were looking like a legitimate championship team with Jamal Murray, with Nicole Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr., and with Aaron Gordon. As you know, Jamal, uh, Jamal Murray unfortunately tears the ACL against the Warriors. That kind of puts a cramp on that. But to give them a lot of credit, as we try to avoid a commercial, boom. All right, we are back. We're back here. Look at that. Great producing. But the Nuggets, surprisingly, despite the loss of Jamal Murray, have not fallen off. So he went down April 12th, which unfortunately was the day when he tore his ACL against the Warriors. They've been 13-5. and 13-5. and five. Surprisingly, they have played really well. They've moved up in the standings, not down. Now, I do think that this is kind of the postseason where you truly do feel the loss of Jamal Murray. But credit to Michael Porter Jr., who has stepped up big time in Murray's absence. Nicole Jokic, MVP of the league, deservingly so. He is tremendous what he does at the center position. Shooting the ball, rebounding, passing, basically being the quarterback. He's done a tremendous job this year. Well-deserving of the MVP. He's been great. Nuggets, whoever they – well, I think it will be. The, I think they'll get past the Blazers in round one. Um, tough series, and I think they will play the Lakers round two. It's going to be tough. They are a team that won't fold over, won't die. This is going to be a tough, grinded-out team. And you know what? The fourth team here, I'll give the Nuggets counterpart in round number one, the Blazers. I think this series is going to go seven. Blazers-Nuggets, to me, is going to go the distance. With I do think Denver is going to come on top. But Norman Powell, since the Blazers made the trade for him, has been a very nice addition. How about this? How about this for the, for the Portland Trail Blazers? Health. We're not talking about injuries. We are not talking about injuries for the Portland Trailblazers for the first time in the postseason in a long time. They are healthy. Now, unfortunately for them, I just don't think the defense is up to snuff to continue and move past the Nuggets and make a, po a deep postseason run like they did two years ago when they went to the Western Conference Finals. But I will say, I have been very impressed by the Blazers, especially since the trade deadline. This is a tough out kind of team. So, to me, four series grinders is what I would call them. Blazers, Nuggets, Heat, Knicks. So, now I'm sure you're asking, hey, where are some of the big teams here? You haven't mentioned the Suns. I haven't mentioned the Nets. Well, guess what? They're next. Two teams that, to me, will have surprisingly early exits. Upset alert, if you will. Suns and the Nets. 
I'm not going on a limb here. I don't believe in picking the Lakers to beat the Suns in round number one, which for the great season the Suns have had, finishing with the second best record in the West, second best record in the NBA. I don't think round number one against the Lakers is a good matchup for them. Chris Paul has been tremendous this year. He has been, he has injected so much life and confidence and swagger and belief into this team. He has been a major reason, him and Monty Williams, two major reasons why the, the, uh, the Suns went from missing the playing game last year in the bubble to best or second best record in the West. With that said, when it comes to postseason time, Chris Paul is not a closer. He is not a guy you can rely on, you can lean on down the stretch to have you win games. The lack of experience to me is going to really be a, um, a detriment to the, the Phoenix team, especially when you take on the Lakers around number one that are just filled, brimming with postseason experience, know what it takes to win in the postseason. Outside of Chris Paul, this is basically, and Drake Crowder, the most ex playoff experience for anyone on this team. DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, Devin Booker, that's going to be a drawback. And I mean, look, if you're the Suns, if you could pick any team, honestly, you could pick any team, I would say they would take seven out of eight teams over the Lakers. They would not take the Lakers. That's a brutal, brutal, brutal draw for them in round number one. That's why I think the Suns are going to have an early exit to see it. I think it will go down in round number one. And the Nets. Now, I'm not picking them to go down in round number one. I am not picking the Celtics to beat the Nets. But the Nets' expectations are championship, title, or bust. So to me, not making the championship, not making the finals, not making the Western Conference finals is a massive disappointment, and that is an early exit. I think that's what's going to happen here with the Nets. It's not even about, for the most part, the lack of continuity playing together. Because I do think, seeing last night with the Lakers were kind of out of whack of sorts, I do think we will see that with the Nets here in round number one against the Celtics. But here's what scares me the most about the Nets. The lack of leadership. Like, how will they respond to adversity? I don't think they will respond well. Who is the leader of this team? You want to say Kevin Durant? Fine. What is Kevin Durant's leadership style? Passive aggressiveness. He rather call you out indirectly on social media using a burner account. They maybe confront a teammate face-to-face -face and say, hey, do this better. Hey, shoot better. Hey, guys, we're down 2-1. The media's against us. We got this. I don't see the, him being the guy to be the glue guy, if you will, keep the team together. If they go down 3-1, you know, 3-2 in a series, I don't see him kind of leading them out of the charge and giving belief. Kyrie Irving, look, he does great work off the court. I cannot take that away from him. I give him a lot of credit, honestly. He does tremendous, tremendous work off the court. So I'm not, I have a tough time criticizing him when he, when he talks about what's going on in the world right now and being more focused on that. But I will say, when it comes to basketball, when it comes to this time of the year, as we see, Kyrie gets distracted. He looks disinterested at points. He's not a guy, to me, again, if you go down a series, if he has a tough shooting night, is going to respond well. And James Harden, he has been a great soldier so far. He has come over here and done everything he's been asked to do. He's taken a backseat to KD. He's taken a backseat to Kyrie. He has been a pass-first player for the first time in his career. Instead of throwing up 30 shots a game, he's dishing out 30 assists per game. I never would expect it. I give James credit, I, James Harden a lot of credit, and I have been very surprised with how he has fit in with the Nets so far and done so well. 
With that said, we see in the postseason, this is a guy who not only shrinks, kind of just doesn't fight back. When things don't go well, he's not a guy to lift a team, to fight back, say, hey guys, we're not losing this series. He is not one of those guys that kind of puts a team on his back and says, lead, I'm going to lead, follow me. Like we've seen so many great players do on their way to a championship. So the lack of, you know, I don't think they would respond to adversity well. The lack of leadership to me is a bigger detriment for the Nets than even the lack of continuity where they've only played eight games together. That's why I think the Nets and the Suns are going to bounce out early relatively to what their expectations are. And finally, the one and dones. The final tier here. Don't want to spend much time on Celtics, Warriors, Hawks, Wizards, Mavericks. All first-round exits in my mind. Hey, great seasons for some of them. The Hawks, tremendous year. Warriors just making it to this point. I think they will beat the Grizzlies and get the eighth seed. Tremendous even making the playoffs. Mavericks, nice bounce back after starting the year slow. But I think this is where it comes to an end. One and done in the postseason. So love to hear your thoughts. I have my four tiers. One and done, five teams. Celtics, Warriors, Hawks, Wizards, Mavericks. Surprising early exits. Suns and Nets. Four teams that, hey, aren't going to win a title, but they are going to be scrappy as hell about it. They're going to give you a fight to the finish. The Knicks, the Heat, the Nuggets, the Blazers, and my five title contenders. The only five teams I think can win a championship. The Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Sixers. So up to your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show is on Twitter as well if you want to get involved there. How many title contenders are there as we enter the postseason, as we get ready for Saturday, when true playoff basketball begins? How many teams can win a title? Love to get your thoughts. When we come back, we'll, I want to squeeze in a little bit. We, trust me, we'll talk plenty of basketball here. We'll circle back to the basketball talk. How far can the Lakers go in the postseason? How many title contenders are there in the NBA? But when we come back, I do want to do a little quick hits, quick hitters here, including one of them. If you're a baseball fan, we've seen two no-hitters. Back-to-back days, actually. But there was a discussion on MLB Network going back to when Spencer Turnbull threw his no-hitter that had me intrigued. If you're in this stadium, if you're at the game, would you root against your team to get no-hit? We'll discuss that next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Here's a question for you. I was very, very intrigued, and I think this is actually a fascinating conversation. So first of all, congratulations to Corey Kluber, the Yankees, threw a no-hitter yesterday. Spencer Turnbull of the Tigers threw a no-hitter two days ago. Now it's like, you know... The no-hitters are becoming so, so commonplace that it's not even a big deal anymore. Five no-hitters so far officially. If you want to count Madison Bumgarner, which I will, six no-hitters through the first six weeks of the season. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So with that said, well, I guess technically, no, seven now. Excuse me. Six official no-hitters. My apologies. I forgot Kluber last night. So here's my, here's my question for you. I was watching LB Network on... Tuesday night, they asked a fascinating question. Would you, if you were at the game, right, if you were going to see your favorite team, for example, I'm a Mets fan, but let's say the other night, let's use the Spencer Turnbull night as the example. The Tigers are playing in Seattle. If you were a Mariners fan at the game on Tuesday night, 
Would you root against the Mariners in order to witness history? Would you root for them to get no hits? You can say, hey, I was out of no hitter. I think that's actually a fascinating question because it's so much different watching the game at home compared to being in the stadium. When you are there and you were on the, on, on the precipice of the chance of watching history, would you root against your team to say, hey, I saw a no-hitter. Sure, it actually happened against you know my team, but I saw history. I saw a no-hitter in person. Fascinating, because honestly, to me, my answer is no. Absolutely not. The last thing I'm doing is rooting for my team to get no-hit. But I thought it was interesting, because all three panelists on MLB Network, you had Greg Amsing, you had um, Tom Verducci, and you had Dan Plesak. All three like, oh, absolutely. You got to witness history. Now I'm sitting like, man, if I'm a Mariners fan, this season's already bad enough. Forget the fact that, you know, they've already gotten no hit once. If I'm a Mariners fan, I go to the game, honestly, to watch my team. But I don't know about you. I, again, everyone has different agendas. People go to baseball games for different reasons. To enjoy the food. It's a thing, something to do maybe on a Saturday or a weekday night. Maybe like getting a little banged up in public, you know, drinking a few beers with some of the boys. Maybe, hey, you know, I'm not a big baseball fan, but hey, you know, we'll go to the game, you know, Drink a few uh, BLs and have a good time here. Mate, everyone has different reasons to go to the game. For me, personally, I go to the game to watch my team win. Big Mets fan, I go each and every time I, I go to City Field with the intention, with the hope, more hope than actually, you know, planning out, with the hope that they win. And then everything else is secondary, you know, having a good time, drinking a few beers, having, you know, a pretzel or a hot dog or whatever. Everything else is secondary to hopefully getting a win. So the last thing I personally could feel I would be doing is rooting for history, rooting for the other team to no-hit the Mets, or in this case, the other night, rooting for Spencer Turnbull, or if you're a Rangers fan last night, rooting for Coy Kluber to make history. Like, I honestly, I understand that the no-hitter now, again, there's been six of them this season, seven if you want to count Madison Bumgarner, unofficially, but I will count his as legit. Seven no-hitters so far in Major League Baseball. It's not, I mean, look, this is probably, when we look back in history, this year is going to be an outlier. But it is to the point where, to me, even though it's happening more often, even though we've seen it happen at a record pace this year, I still look at it and look at the accomplishment as embarrassing for their team. I am embarrassed for the Mariners, for the Rangers, for the Indians, that all three of those teams have been no hit, not once this year, twice. Twice, two times, two separate times. For the matters, it's twice in less than two weeks. I personally would find an embarrassment from it. Like, damn, my team really got no hit. That's pathetic. So I couldn't find myself rooting against my team to watch history, to watch the opposing pitcher throw a no hitter. That would be embarrassed by it. I wouldn't think it's cool. I wouldn't think it's, oh man, I win history. I would say, damn, I was at the game. The Mets got no hit. Can you believe that? What an embarrassment. Now, I understand everyone looks at it differently. When I posed this question on Twitter, one of my guys, Chris Venezia, he's a big Diamondbacks fan. He was saying, hey, look, Diamondbacks stink this year. Like, of course I'd, I'd root against them. I want to see history. And I get it. If your team stinks, and trust me, I've been to plenty of Mets games and plenty of Mets seasons where they stink. But even with that said, I feel like there was just another level of embarrassment. Well, sure, it's one out of 162 games. Sure, you know, for 24 hours, it's in the news cycle. But then you kind of, you know, as everything kind of does, fades into black, fades into the background where after a day or two, no one's really going to care. 
I just couldn't find myself. I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be proud to say that I was at a game in which my favorite team was no hit. Obviously, other end, obviously we're all for it. But I thought that was an interesting conversation because I was way against it. And I kind of figured, honestly, that this was a question that was obvious. But that again, that's just me. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. If you were at the ballpark, if you were in the stadium, right? We're not talking about watching on TV. Totally different. If you're in the stadium, at the game, and the other team has a no-hitter going, are you rooting for it? Are you rooting for history? Are you rooting for the no-hitter despite that it could come against your team? Or are you saying, not tonight? No. I, even if it's one hit, even if my team loses 10 nothing, they get one hit and it comes in the eighth inning, I don't care. I don't want to get no hit. That's where I fall in, honestly. I will do whatever it takes to not have my team get noted. I could not find myself sitting there rooting for the other team to make history. I guess I'm in the minority. Everyone in the MLB network, a few guys that tweeted me when I put that question out the other night, everyone is in agreement. Yeah, I'd root for history. It's one out of 162. I want to see history. For me, the answer is absolutely not. I am not rooting for history. I am not rooting for my team. So go in the record books, in my mind, for an embarrassing reason. So I just wanted to bring that because I thought it was a fascinating conversation that they had. It's something I didn't really even think about. Thankfully, I haven't had an opportunity to be at a game where the Mets have even had a really shot of being no hit. I'm trying to think. I couldn't even tell you if you know they made it to the fifth inning or sixth inning. Maybe once there was like the sixth inning. Maybe. So there's really no threat that I've ever been at a game where they've gotten no hit. So the the question never kind of popped in my head, but now when you think about it, it's fascinating. You're in the seventh inning. You're in the eighth inning. You're in the ninth inning. Man, we get to history here. I am rooting against history. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Would you root against your team when it comes to a no-hitter being pitched? If you could witness history in first person in the stadium, you're there. And the other team is throwing a no-hitter. Would you want it to happen? Or would you root for your team in any way, shape, or form? Get a hit. Avoid being no-hit. So I'll to your thoughts. So we'll take a quick break here. When we come back to the other side, we'll get your thoughts. And also, speaking of baseball, man, what a, a really an age-old debate pops up. What else is new? Unwritten rules, Tony La Russa is all for them, in the process throws his own players under the bus, and now we are here yet again discussing old school versus new school, unwritten rules versus having fun playing the game hard. I will say this, there's been two instances this week, Tony La Russa and Ron Wolf. They have put on display the old school mentality and a lot of new school thinkers have rushed to the other side. We have a classic standoff here. Old school thinking in sports versus new school thinking in sports. Which is the right way? Which is the way to be thinking? I'll tell you that answer when the Ryan Hickey Show returns. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here. One hour in the books. Don't worry. Another hour to go going until 11 a.m. Eastern here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate listening, whether it's on Facebook, you can find us at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show. I am there as well if you want to tweet the show or listen through the show. The live stream is being broadcasted through our Twitter handle as well. YouTube Worldwide Sports right now because we can also find the show if you are a YouTube streamer. And always you can find our show on the app WWSRN if you have an iPhone, Worldwide Sports right now if you have an Android, and WorldwideSportsRadio.com. Lot still to do here. We have some NFL news. We'll get to that here in a second. I'll, I'll tell you right now. Julio Jones, according to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic, is looks like he's going to be traded from the Falcons. Not a terribly big surprise. I feel like we all kind of saw this coming. Um, when you see his contract and how much is on the books and how tight the Falcons are to the cap, I believe I saw, and read this correctly, the Falcons right now, as it is, if they did not trade Julio Jones, wouldn't have enough cap space to sign the entire draft class they had. So, yeah, a move needs to be made. I think we all kind of saw this coming. There's been rumors all offseason, not the biggest surprise that, I guess now official reports are circulating that the Falcons will trade Julio Jones. Look for that post-June 1. Um, you can kind of play with some financials there and give the Falcons more cap relief than he would get traded if he was today. So 11 days from now, we'll, we'll see probably Julio Jones officially on the move. But now it sounds like the, the Falcons are taking calls and, and trying to actively shop Julio Jones. And everyone's favorite college football player, the dream himself, Tim Tebow, officially back in the NFL. After weeks of speculation, Hemmen and Horan, uh, will Urmeyer sign Tim Tebow? Will he not? How is he doing um, at tight end tryouts? Because he's not playing quarterback. He'll be playing tight end. It is official. He has signed a contract to at least try out and try to make the team for the Jaguars. He's reporting to minicamp very soon. And he'll be on the Jaguars roster, at least to start training camp. We'll see if he makes a team. But that is official today. The Jaguars have signed Tim Tebow. So if you Tim Tebow fans out there, congratulations. For the Tim Tebow haters, and on social media, there's a lot more hate than there is love. You are probably furious and fed up that Tim Tebow is going to get another shot uh, at tight end, mind you. So, just want to throw those out there. We'll circle back and maybe dive into a little bit more in about 30 minutes from now towards the end of the show. But I do want to start hour number two and kind of dive in here. Old school versus new school in sports. Now, we'll say this. Old school, there are some old school principles that never go out of style, right? Things that were hip in the 50s and the 1920s are still echoed and still work in today's day and age. I think firm handshake, eye contact, right? People people love that. It's a shine, uh, sign of respect. Can't go wrong. Firm handshake, eye contact, that will never go out of style. Manners, maybe as corny as that sounds, manners are always in style. Small things that, hey, have been passed down by generation to generation, no matter kind of what happens, no matter how society involved, those are a few principles that kind of never go out of style. But what works in life sometimes doesn't always work in sports. And now when you look at some old school principles in sports, it's not the case, right? Like what are, what are some old school traditional sports sayings that we love to always lean on and use as a crutch? Defense wins championships. Oh, the offense is great, but you got to play good defense. The NFL, sure, the offense puts up points. The offense puts butts in the seats. But defense is what wins championships. How about the old, 
celebrate like you've been there before. You get a touchdown, you hand the ball to the official. You walk like you've been there before. You get a home run, you place the bat down, you put your head down, and you jog and you jog in a quick fashion around the bases. You touch them all. No celebration, no high fives, no smiling, because you have to be like you have to act like you've been there before. Well, guess what? A lot of those old school principles out the window. They don't apply in today's day and age. They can't win in today's day and age. You can't win with the old school philosophies. The old saying, adapt or die. Right now, if you don't adapt your thinking, if you don't change your thinking that are stuck in the old ways, stuck in the defense wins championship ways, stuck in the celebrate like you've been there before, where you clutch to your old school philosophies and fail to adapt to what the new school is in today's day and age, you will not succeed. You will fail. And we saw two perfect examples of that in this week alone in two separate sports, the NFL and Major League Baseball. Let's start with Major League Baseball because that's that's the more timely one. That is, that is the bigger story here. As we know, Tony La Russa, you, I'm sure you know by now, but in case you don't, Yerman Mercedes cranks a home run. It's like 5 million to 4. It's, I think, really 14 to 4. The White Sox are beating the Twins. Ninth inning, they have a catcher. The Twins have put on the mound, trying to save the pitching staff. 3-0. and uh, The catcher lobs one over the plate. Yerman Mercedes takes a massive crow hop. Cranks it. Cranks the ball out of the ballpark. Crushes a home run. And Tony La Russa is very upset. Because Yerman Mercedes broke an unwritten rule of swinging 3-0 in a blowout. He was screaming, apparently, take the pitch because he saw Yerman was going to swing. Mercedes says, screw you, I'm swinging anyway. Boom, 3-0 home run. So now after the game, Tortolusa throws Yerman Mercedes on, uh, under the bus, says he's going to be punished for what he did. Funny, as a side note by you, all of a sudden, Tony Russa missed their consequences. A few DUIs, ah, don't worry about that, just throw it on the rug. The second DUI, uh, don't, please don't say anything off. So you know who I am. You're going to ruin my career. All of a sudden now, Tony La Russa has missed her consequences. Okay, all right. Well, the funny part is, the interesting part is, is that Tony La Russa thinks Yerman Mercedes is in the wrong. No one else thinks Yerman Mercedes is in the wrong. And guess what? The White Sox players think he did the right thing. And the White Sox players aren't afraid to tell you they have done the right thing. I mean, Tony La Russa has basically started a mutiny in the locker room. Despite the fact they're in first place, despite the fact they have the best winning percentage in baseball, Tony La Russa has started a mutiny in the locker room in part because of his old school thinking, failing to adapt to the new school of baseball, the new way to play the game and have fun. And right now, everyone else in the locker room is against him. Lance Lynn saying, hey, when there's position players on the mound, all bets are off. Tim Anderson on social media. Keep swinging, big boy. Yerman Mercedes himself said, I'm going to keep doing Yerman. I'm going to keep doing my thing. I don't care what LaRusa says. I'm going to still play the game the way I know how. So you had a visceral reaction from the White Sox locker room, from the clubhouse, defending their guy. Then when Yerman Mercedes gets thrown at, here's Tony LaRusa doubling down saying, oh, I saw nothing wrong with it. I saw no intent there. I had no problem with what the Twins did. Then, then, he triples down the next day when Lance Lynn spoke out and said, hey, when there's position players on the mound, there's no rules. I, I have no problem with it. As a pitcher himself, he had no problem with his teammates swinging three. I want to blow out. Then when Tony La Russa hears that, he goes, hey, Lance Lynn has, an, uh, has a locker. I got an office. 
basically saying, stay in your place. Stay in your lane. Do you hear that? Beep, beep, beep. That's Tony Russo backing up the bus, running over Yermer Mercedes again after he threw him under the bus the first time, ran over him a second time, now backing up for a third run. He is going to, he should, I'm sorry, forget going to. He should be fired. Tony LaRusso should absolutely be fired for the words and for his philosophy alone this week in not defending his own player. And basically goading and praising the Twins for throwing at his own player. And anytime anyone on the White Sox speaks out and defends their own teammate, there's Tony LaRusso saying, get back in your place. I got an office. You got a locker. Yeah, the Twins did nothing wrong. I have no problem with it. He lost the locker room. It's gone. I don't see how he can win it back. I don't see how all of a sudden these players are going to play hard for him. The twin, uh, I'm sorry, the White Sox have the best winning percentage of baseball in spite of Tony LaRusso, not because of him. He should be fired already. I would fire him today. I don't think he's going to make it through the end of the year, to be honest, because I think this is something that's going to keep on boiling up. The mutiny has been started. I don't see it going away because guess what? There is bound to be something else. This is a team that has fun. They're not afraid to express themselves. Remember, this is kind of this is the team you can point to. Because now baseball the last two, three years has pushed for fun. Let the kids play. Remember, this all started because Tim Anderson hit a monster home run, had a great bat flip. Everyone loved it. The next day he got thrown at. And you know what? Instead of saying, fine, I deserved it, he said, what the hell? I'm expressing myself. NBA players can celebrate dunks. NFL players now can, can do whatever they want celebrating a touchdown. Why can't baseball players celebrate home runs? So he was sick of getting thrown at. He started speaking out. Other players joined in. And then all of a sudden, baseball was like, oh, let the kids play. Let's have some fun here. Let's embrace brat, uh, bat flips. Let's embrace pimping home runs, jogging around the bases slow, having fun. So you think this locker room is all of a sudden going to just placate or, or, or uh, give Tony or bow down, I should say, to Tony LaRusso? No. This is going to get ugly. LaRusso should have already been fired. He should have, well, he should have never been hired. Should have been fired this week for how he handled the year Mercedes. Should have been fired on Tuesday for throwing him under the bus and basically saying, yeah, the Twins did the right thing. Should have been fired for saying, hey, Lance Lynn's got a, uh, got a locker. I got an office. Clueless. Old school, I'm telling you, can't win. It can't win in today's stage. But this is not only a baseball thing. This is also an NFL thing. He's also this week, before this whole LaRusso stuff blew up, you had Ron Wolf, Hall of Fame general manager, former Packers general manager. He was on the Big Show Network up there in Wisconsin. He called Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, divas. For how they're acting because they are frustrated with their certain situations and they are speaking out against their teams despite being under contract, despite signing massive contracts, getting paid handsomely to play the position. They are divas because they are complaining that what they have is not good enough for running. Now I'll say this. Ron Wolf, he's not hired so he can't get fired. But those who agree with Ron Wolf, those in positions of power, head coaches, general managers, team presidents, those who hear Ron Wolf's comments say, yeah, that guy's right. Yeah, Ron, tell him. You're setting yourself up to be fired as well. Matter of time. Because guess what? Guess what we are seeing now and what should be the case? The great quarterback is greater 
than the GM every single time. If you're the Seahawks and it comes down to Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll, you better choose Russell Wilson 10 times out of 10. If you're the Packers, Brian Gutekunst, Aaron Rodgers, you take the quarterback. You take the all-time great quarterback. Deshaun Watson, or I mean essentially, essentially what has become the entire Texans organization that he's against. You take the young franchise quarterback that's going to be there for the next decade over a lousy organization, over Jack Easterby, over everyone in Houston. Because guess what? The quarterback position is the most important position in all sports. Great quarterbacks, franchise quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks have now risen to the level where they are at the same point as NBA superstars. NBA superstars have basically GM-like powers. They can call the shots. They can, hey, let's make a trade. Let's get this guy. Let's get rid of this guy. I don't like this coach. I like this coach. They have input. They They have their voice heard within their organization. And we have seen smart organizations, smart leadership in the NFL do the same thing, and it's worked out. Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay and winning a Super Bowl isn't an accident. It's not a coincidence. Jason Light, the general manager, Bruce Arians, the head coach, Tom Brady, the quarterback, all three of them work together to mold the roster, to mold the game plan, to figure out what what worked best, what didn't. It resulted in a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Brett Veach. Quarterback, head coach, general manager do the same thing. Andy Reid calls plays that Patrick Mahomes likes. Brett Veach, a GM, picks players that Patrick Mahomes likes, can work with. They called him to sign off on picking Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round of the 2020 draft last year. They called Patrick Mahomes, hey, we're thinking about it. You like this move? When you consult with an all-time great quarterback, you are in position to succeed. When you have the old-school mentality of, I'm the boss, I pick the players, he's the coach, he coaches the players, you're the player, you just play. Stand over there and just do what I say doesn't work. That is not how you win in today's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Hockey, whatever sport you want to look at, team sports specifically. The great players deserve input. They are such rare commodities, especially in football with quarterbacks, that you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't listen to what they have to say. So if you don't collaborate, if you don't have their voice heard, if you don't give them just the proper respect, Packers, Seahawks, Texans, they're going to leave, as they should. And then guess what you're going to be doing? You are going to be chasing. Chasing them to come back. Chasing someone else to fit their role, to fit their level of play. That as we know, if you're the Packers, good luck finding the next Aaron Rodgers. If you're the Texans, good luck finding someone young who's a top five quarterback like Deshaun Watson is. If you're the Seahawks, good luck replacing Russell Wilson. These are all top five in the league quarterbacks. Good luck finding someone to fit, just just to live up to what they've done so far. So you're doing yourself a massive disservice if you stay in the old school line of thinking, like Ron Wolf is saying, calling them divas, almost being flabbergasted and taken aback, that they are frustrated that their voices are being heard. Buddy, this is 2021, man. That's not how you, your old school thinking doesn't win. 
So for those GMs and coaches and organizations that hear Ron Wolf call these quarterbacks divas and champion that, guess what? You probably aren't a good organization. And if you have said quarterback, if you're the Seahawks secretly cheering Ron Wolf, if you're the Packers secretly saying, yeah, Ron's right, you may have a quarterback now. He won't be there for too long. And you will be left chasing. And if you're a baseball, if you're Tony La Russa sucking your unwritten old man yells at the cloud rules, not embracing fun, not embracing the way the game is played today, you also will find yourself out. Because guess what? The White Sox don't need you. Baseball doesn't need you. You're a whole fan manager. Congratulations. Right now, you're a detriment to the game. Tony La Russa is a detriment to baseball, a detriment to the White Sox. They don't need him, and he should be fired. Old school philosophies don't work in today's game. Old school philosophies and old school principles in daily life still do. Still do. But when it comes to sports, the game has changed. And you either adapt or you die. Right now, we are seeing teams and players that adapt and, and thriving. We are seeing still people involved in the game and outside the game not adapting. And they're going to be dying soon. Not physically. Hopefully not. I'm not wishing that on anyone. But in terms of success. I want to clarify that. In terms of success. So there was interesting this week that a lot of old school principles being thrown, thrown around. A lot of new school thinking being also brought up here. New school is the way to go. Cater to the quarterback. Let the kids have fun. Easy. It's very easy. That also leads to success. So when we come back, I do want to stick with baseball here. We won't talk about Tony Russo too much. It's been a, you know, a tired topic. But how about something else that maybe is starting to get tired as well? No hitters. Are they good for baseball? Is this pitching dominance that we have seen in Major League Baseball actually good for the game or not? We will discuss next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports. Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Going until 11 a.m. Eastern, so just about a half hour or so from now. We uh, do have some thoughts on the respect or lack thereof, maybe about Tony La Russa and what's going on this week. We'll circle back to those in a few minutes here. But I do want to stick with baseball and, and discuss history. A lot of history being made in the game of baseball. Is it a good thing? Because we have had, after last night, after Coy Kluber threw another no-hitter, this time against the Rangers, after two nights ago you had Detroit Tigers pitcher Spencer Turnbull no-hit the Mariners, we have six official no-hitters already thrown, seven if you count Madison Baumgartner's no-hitter through seven innings in a doubleheader. Well, guess what the modern record is for no-hitters in one season? Seven. It is May 20th 
And today could be the day. Could it? Possibly. Today could be the night where the MLB ties a record for most no-hitters in a season. Seven has only been, uh, has only been accomplished three times. Most recently, 2012. So Matt Snyder over at CBS Sports wrote a great article last night. Major League Baseball right now is on pace. On pace, if this, if this uh, keeps up, for 20 no-hitters this season. 20! That's insanity. So honestly, for me, at this point, I don't think the frequency of no-hitters is good for baseball. And I don't think the dominance that pitching has had over the hitters throughout the entire game is good for baseball. To me, it's just not exciting. And something has to change to get more offense going here because I don't think people are tuning in to watch 2 nothing games with 40 strikeouts. There is a solution I think that's out there to lower the mound. Lower the pitching mound that it is right now. Before we get to that, and before I'll tell you what that does, how about we take a step back here quickly within the first roughly six weeks of the year. That's about it. Approaching two months of the season. Let's look at how dominant the pitching has been. So in the month of April, there were 1,092 more strikeouts than hits. That's right. 1,900, I'm sorry, 1,092 more strikeouts than hits in the month of April alone. Guess what that gap is? An MLB record for any month in MLB history. The widest gap between strikeouts and hits for a given month in Major League Baseball history. The season strikeout record is on pace to be broken for the 15th consecutive season. 14 years in a row, and it's going to be 15 with the way this rate has been going this year. 14 years in a row, the strikeout record has been reset league-wide. Speaking of league-wide... Do you know what the batting average league-wide is? Average, 236. Every Major League Baseball team average out their batting average, it is 236. Guess what that is? An all-time low. You have the Mariners. The Seattle Mariners, who, who, to be fair, have no business in winning. That's a whole other discussion of whether they're doing the right thing or not. The Mariners are tanking. They, as a team, are hitting... Below 200. As a team combined, are hitting below 200. So let me ask you this. If you're a fan of baseball, I am. If you are, are you excited to watch teams combining for four runs and combining to strike out 25 times, and that's on the lighter end? A night? A game? I'm not. This is tough to watch. The Honestly, how I know it's a problem is last night, my reaction to Corey Kluber's no-header, to me, it says it all. And that's kind of what was the impetus for even doing the segment right now. When I got the alert, as I'm finishing up listening to the Mets game, walking to the train after work, that Corey Kluber has a no-header through eight, my first reaction was, oh, not again. Think about that. History. Oh, not again. Here we go again. I watched Spencer Turnbull throw the no-header two nights ago. That was awesome. That was cool. But even still, it's like, man, if we're getting to this point where it's happening almost a nightly basis, we are getting some sort of alert that, hey, this so-and-so pitcher is in the seventh inning. So-and-so is in the eighth inning. We're going to the ninth inning. No hitter. Will he do it? It gets old quick. And especially gets old quick because 
it's not even surprising anymore. Teams can't hit. The pitching has gotten too good. Whether it's velocity, whether it's control, whether it's spin rates, whether it's facing 10 guys in a row throwing 100 miles an hour with none of them coming out of the bullpen, hitting at this point doesn't have a chance. And that's why lowering the mound, to me, after the season is the only kind of way to give hitters some sort of opportunity here. They're experimenting in lower leagues with moving the mound back a foot. I think that's a little dangerous, to be honest. I'm worried how that will affect pitching arms and increase injuries. But lowering the mound does work. Now, it's happened once. It happened back in uh, after the 1968 season, which was the year of the K, the year of the pitcher. Now, I don't know about you. I wasn't alive back then. Sure, most of you weren't alive back then in 1968 to watch the dominance of pitching. But in case you weren't, quick stats here to show you just basically how 1968 is 2021 reincarnated. So the impetus was there were seven teams in 1968 that hit 230 or worse for the entire season. Seven teams. Okay. Not great. We just talked about how the league average in Major League Baseball is 236. Right now, if the season ended today, there are 12 teams hitting at 230 or worse. So in 1968, it took seven teams for them to be like, oh, this is too much. The pitching is too good. We got to lower the mound. We were almost doubling it in the year of 2021 to where 12 teams are hitting 230 or worse. In 1968, before they lowered the mound, there was an average of 6.8 runs scored per game combined. 1969, the very next year, that number jumped up to 8.14. So almost a game and uh, run and a half, excuse me, more per game when they lowered the mound in just one year. To me, you had to do it. I know Major League Baseball dead in the baseball because they didn't want the juice baseballs flying out of the park. It still doesn't solve the main issue because guess what? Strikeouts are happening. Even if the ball is juiced and the ball is going out over the fence, that doesn't do anything. I don't know about you. I have gotten to the point where home runs have become normalized. It's not as exciting anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. A big eighth inning home run, a big seventh inning home run, a big ninth inning home run. If the game warrants a big spot, it's a home run. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. But a home run in the third inning has lost its luster, maybe compared to what it was 10 years ago, because we see it all the time. We see it from everyone in the lineup. There are pitchers hitting home runs now more frequently than we've ever seen before. So the more frequently you see it, the less novel becomes and the you know it kind of loses its luster a little bit. But even still, even the home run, out of the ballpark, you're not seeing defenders really move. You're not seeing base runners on base. You're not feeling any high-intensity moments because it's walk, it's strikeout, it's home run, that's it. You got to give hitters some sort of chance here to do whatever they can. And right now, with velocity up, with spin rates up, with control better than ever. It is tough to be a hitter. And honestly, the first two, three weeks of the season, I thought it was just the weather like we always kind of see. The colder weather hurts the offense. The pitchers, because they get a little bit earlier spring training, are usually always ahead of the batters. So usually the first month of the year, we always do kind of see some sort of you know lower offensive numbers, tough batting averages, less runs scored. But we're at the point now where this is no coincidence. This is historically bad. 
like I said, the lowest league-wide batting average of all time. 1,092 more strikeouts than hits in the month of April alone, a MLB record. The Mariners are hitting below 200 as a team, and we are on pace to reset the strikeout record for the 15th consecutive season. Some of it is philosophy. Some of it is launch angle. Some of it is basically a strikeout not being considered analytically a big deal anymore. Part of it is pitching is just too good. Too good. And what do we know, by the way? My final point here. What do we know sells? Offense. The NFL, offense-driven league. No more defense wins championships. No more grinding it out, tough defense. You need an offense if you want to win a championship. Basketball. We are seeing now... Same thing. Offense wins championships. You can't score. You can't score frequently. You don't have a chance. Hockey, same thing. All three leagues, the NHL, the NBA, and the NFL, have geared and changed their rules to benefit the offense, to benefit points, to benefit scoring, because that sells. Guess what baseball needs to do? Start changing the rules to benefit the offense. Benefit it. I think it would be greater for the game, greater for fans, more exciting for everyone. Better for the product. If you have, on average, 10 runs scored per game compared to like four. You have 10 strikeouts combined between two teams and a lot of balls put in play compared to 40 strikeouts per uh, per game combined. Because right now, no one could put a ball in play. It's ridiculous. And this is to the point where the pitching is so dominant that this is just not something that's going to go away once the warm weather comes out like it is right now. The pitching is too good. To me, the only solution, you got to lower the mound. Moving it back is too dangerous. No other really rules right now you, you can kind of help the hitter. You want to you know, ban the shift. I've actually come around on that. I hate to say it. I've come around on the DH rule. I was anti-DH for a while. I've come around and warmed up to it. Fine. You want to put the DH in the National League? Fine. You win. You want to ban the shift? I was one of those guys, to be honest. Maybe even a hardo. Oh, learn to hit the other way. Well, it's kind of the point. The pitching is so good, you can't. It's impossible to hit the other way. It's impossible to put the ball where you want it. Because it comes on you so quick, so much spin rate, so much velocity, so much movement. So hard to square it up. I think more offense is better for baseball. I think this, this pitching dominance, as we've seen, six official no-hitters through basically the first six weeks of the season. We are one away from tying a Major League Baseball record, a modern record. We know how long baseball has been around for. And it's May 20th. That's an issue. We're on pace for 20 no-hitters. That's an issue. So I hope after this season is over, I'm sure how baseball will go about bungling it in some sort of fashion. But I hope the rules change to gear the offense. To me, that's what sells. That's what's more exciting. That's what, to me, needs to happen. So I'd love to know, do you agree, disagree? Is there too many no-hitters? Is pitching too dominant? It sounds interesting, I feel. After another no-hitters thrown last night, two now and two nights, to be criticizing, watching history, and watching something cool where a lot of attention is brought to the game in a positive way. But this is to the point where it's too much. The pitching is too dominant. It is too easy now to throw a no-hitter. It has. It has. The numbers bear that out. So, up to your thoughts. 
Is pitching dominance in baseball a good thing? Are there too many no-hitters? Are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying watching history? Is the aura, if you will, surrounding no-hitters, despite the fact that we've seen seven or six or seven, depending on how officially you view it already, is the luster still not lost? It's still meaning something to you. Love to hear your thoughts. Get them on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, you can tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show. Tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. Or if you're watching on the live stream on Twitter, we appreciate you. Comment right there. Nice and easy. Bing, bang, boom. Put a comment in. We'll read it on the air before we get out of here. When we come back, we'll get your thoughts. Too many strikeouts in baseball. Too much pitching dominance. Too many no-hitters. Are there? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And when we come back, we'll circle back to what we started with. The Western Conference let the Lakers off the hook. I'll explain why that is when the Ryan Hickey Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So before we were just talking about Tony LaRusso getting mad, yelling at the clouds, because one of his guys, Yerman Mercedes, swung out a 3-0 pitch, and he thought it was very disrespectful. Threw him under the bus once, twice, three times. Fascinating. Never kind of seen anything like this before, where a manager is almost agreeing with the other team and throwing at your own player. Ridiculous, personally. But not everyone agrees. The great Joe Hickey, also happens to be a father, on Facebook says it's called respect. He does think that it's, you know what? Tony is right. Some behavior never goes out of style, and he thinks it's all about respect. Tony La Russa is right. He should be upset. Don't be swinging 3-0. I will say, I love my dad. As you can tell, a little older gentleman. More old school philosophies than maybe a newer school thinker like myself, personally. Personally, nothing wrong with that. Just the way you are. There's also the same guy. <laughs> oh, he's funny. Um, that still believes if you wear a blue suit, black shoes go. To me, I think that's no way. What's the style now? Anytime there's a blue suit, boom, brown shoes. It goes, it goes really well. It looks good together. He doesn't think so. He's still Mr. Blue Suit Black Shoes, which I guess is starting comeback, starting to come back. But hey, what do I know? I'm not a fashion expert. But that's just to give you an insight of the thinking there. He is still old school. I'm a little bit more of a newer school kind of guy myself. I have no problem with what Tony Lewis said. But Joe Hickey does not agree. It's all about respect in his mind. Just like wearing blue, a blue suit with black shoes. And it's all about some things never go out of style. So that's his thoughts. Also, speaking of fashion, good news if you're a Jaguars fan. Good news if you're a Tim Tebow fan. We told you a little while ago. Officially, he has signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Remember, there's rumors. There's a few tryouts. He's officially signed a contract to be able to go to training camp and compete to be the tight end for the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And guess what? Great news if you are a Jaguars fan. You can already get his jersey. He signed literally about two hours ago. And you just saw on Twitter, on the Jacksonville Jaguars website, their big advertisement for jersey sales, when you go to their you know, Jaguars shop online, there's three jerseys that they advertise right away as soon as you click on the homepage. Trevor Lawrence and the 16 jersey, no surprise. Travis Etienne, the number one jersey. Okay, his teammate, 
The other first-round pick, it's a new wave of Jacksonville. Okay. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. The third jersey. You know what the third jersey is? Right on the homepage on the Jacksonville Jaguars NFL Shop website is. I'll give you a hint. He wears number zero. Are you stumped? You should be, because I am too. Tim Tebow. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Tim Tebow. Three jerseys that right now are on the front page of the Jacksonville Jaguars NFL shop site. Holy smokes. They wasted no time. They know how to market. They know how to sell. They know what sells in the Jacksonville area. That is Tebow. Boy, I said this when they were even thinking about um, signing him. It was a rumor. I don't get it personally. uh, Irv Meyer could say he's a culture guy. He's trying to change the culture, trying to bring a winner in. Bringing Tim Tebow in after not taking a snap in the regular season since 2012. Since trying to play a baseball career. Since being a college football analyst for ESPN. I don't think bringing Tim Tebow back into the fold is how you change the culture in Jacksonville. Personally, for me, it's more of a distraction than it is a benefit. It is more a negative than it is a positive. Trevor Lawrence is your guy. Now, I'm not even saying that this is going to be a large faction of the Jaguars fan base. Hell, it may not even be anyone. But you, why would you give any fans the ammo, the thought that, hey man, Trevor Lawrence threw three picks, let's put Tim Tebow back there. Why even bring the distraction with you for a guy that at best case scenario is what? 53rd guy on the roster? The last guy on the roster, a special teams player maybe? You know, a guy who can block as a tight end? Excuse me? Like, what are we doing here? What is the benefit? How is he worth the distraction, the attention? that he brings along with the Tim Tebow stardom that it is. I don't get it. I don't think it's a wise move. I think it's something that the Jaguars and Urban Meyer will regret. Not the first time he's made a regrettable decision to where the warning signs are there, where it's not a great idea, he goes through with it anyway. Wouldn't it be the first time? Wouldn't it be the last time? So we'll see how this works out. Don't think it's going to end well in Jacksonville, but Tim Tebow is officially a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you can officially now buy his number zero jersey on the Jacksonville Jaguars website. So I do want to circle back here before we get out of here to the playing game last night. The big story of the day. The Los Angeles Lakers get by the Warriors. Crazy game. LeBron gets poked in the eye. Claims he's seeing three rims because of his eye. Somehow still makes an incredibly deep and clutch shot to give the Lakers a 103-100 lead. Oh, win, excuse me. And now when you look at the Lakers, now that they're officially the seven, now that they are going to take on the Suns in the first round, they are going to take on either the Nuggets or the Blazers in round two, and then face either the Jazz or the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. The Western Conference, the Clippers and Nuggets specifically, let the Lakers off the hook. They made a mistake in pushing and trying to delay playing the Lakers in until the Western Conference Finals. When they should have been racing, racing to play the Lakers in round number one. They would have been better off. They have a way better shot at taking down the defending champions in round one 
than they do in the Western Conference Finals. This was a massive mistake, and to me, a mistake that they're going to pay for. Because even watching last night's game, you saw LeBron looked rusty, didn't look himself, was still trying to work back into it. Anthony Davis struggled mightily for three quarters before having a pretty good fourth quarter. Dennis Schroeder was benched in the fourth quarter because of how ineffective he was. He's still trying to get his legs out of him after he missed the last two weeks um, being health and safety protocols. This team is gettable right now. This team is beatable in the playoffs right now. And if you're the Nuggets and you beat the Blazers, you had the three seed and, and the Lakers moved up to the six. If you're the Clippers where you actually tried to win and you wanted to play the Lakers in round number one as a 3-6 matchup, you had a good, legitimate chance of knocking them off. Instead, the Nuggets delayed the inevitable. They're going to face them most likely in round number two. The Clippers really push off the inevitable to where the latest or the earliest they would see them, the only time they'll see them, is in the Western Conference Finals. To me, big mistake. Because by the time you get to that point, I think LeBron will be playing a lot better. I think AD will be playing a lot better. I think Dennis Schroeder will get his legs under him. I think this Lakers team will be playing a lot better basketball in 10 to 14 games from now than they are right now. Last night, they looked like a team that hasn't played together in three months. Why is that? Oh, yeah, that's right. They basically haven't. Anthony Davis has been out since February 14th. LeBron James was out a month later. AD comes back. LeBron tries to come back, plays a game and a half, leaves the fourth quarter, misses another week, comes back over the weekend, plays back-to-back games against the Pacers and, and Pelicans. They have basically had, what, two games together the last three months. LeBron James himself has played in five total games the last two months. And what do we know about LeBron? LeBron is like, fine one. He gets better with age. In this case, gets better as the season goes along. He gets off to slow starts when the, when the regular season starts in October or November. And that's okay. It's on purpose. He gradually builds up his game to where he is playing his best basketball in April, in May, and June, and the stats reflect it. If you look at LeBron James' splits, when he starts the year in October November, when you look at them compared to April, when the regular season is ending and the playoffs are starting, LeBron James in April, compared to October November, has a higher field goal percentage, higher free throw percentage, higher usage rate, higher offensive rating, more minutes played per game, more points per game, more rebounds per game. Essentially, every meaningful stat is up. Why is that? Because LeBron knows to be a champion, to get his team to the finals and win it, you he has to be playing his best basketball in the playoffs. So he gears his entire offseason, he gears the entire regular season to getting ready to play his peak in the playoffs. So let me ask you this, if we know that, right, if that is the case, well, because LeBron has basically been out for two months, he's played five games in two months, we can almost treat this playing game and the first round of the playoffs like it is October, November. Like he is starting a brand new regular season, and I am going to assume and I am going to believe he is going to start off slow. But, like he does every regular season, like he's done really in every postseason for the last decade, he gets better and he plays his best basketball when it matters the most. So as we get deeper into the playoffs, as they get past the Suns in round one, which I think they do, as they get past either the Nuggets or the Blazers in round number two, which I think they will, by the time if you're the Clippers, 
who you tried to avoid and delay the inevitable and maybe hoped you took someone else, someone else took care of your business for you. If you played the, if you played the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, I have a tough time picking against Lakers, and I'm a big Clippers supporter in terms of I believe in them. I think this Clippers team is legit. But the longer you let LeBron work his way back, the longer you let AD get some continuity and familiarity back with Caruso and Kyle Kuzma and Montrose Harrell, and the more you let this Lakers team get used to playing together again, the worse it is for you. The more dangerous it is. To me, if you're going to dethrone the champs, cut off the head of the snake, if you will, to use what Anthony Davis said in in discussing Steph Curry, you got to do it right away. Immediately, round number one. you got to be sprinting to play them in the first round because that is your best chance of knocking them off. The longer they stick around, the stronger they get, the more momentum they get, the better they play, the harder it is for you to defeat them. And that's why, to me, the West made a big mistake. Lakers, I'm sorry, the Clippers and Nuggets specifically, in bowing out, in wanting to delay the inevitable, in angling the rest of their seating to avoid the Lakers for as long as possible. It's a loser mentality. It's a defeatist mentality. And it's also just not smart. Because to me, I think this Lakers team's only going to get better. Last night was brutal. We may see that for another game or two against the Suns. I think they won't have any problem with the Suns. But I don't think we'll see many performances like we saw last night. This is a team that, to me, looked out of whack because they didn't play together. The more they play together, the more familiar they play, the better they will be. You got to knock them off early if you want a chance of taking them down. That's why I think it's a big mistake for both teams, Laker, uh, Nuggets and Clippers, to avoid that. And now you basically let the Lakers walk into the Western Conference Finals because they will beat the Suns. They will overpower either the Nuggets or the Blazers. And they'll be sitting there, lurking as your worst nightmare. So, on that note, that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Oh, boy. We appreciate you tuning in, starting your Thursday morning with us. We hopefully made it enjoyable, entertaining, fun, exciting. Gave you a little distraction from work these last two hours. We appreciate you joining with us and, and spending a few minutes here. Remember, make sure to like us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Follow us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Like us, or I should say subscribe on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the app, WWSRN on iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio Network for Android. And also visit our website, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. That is where you can find all of our great shows, all the talented hosts we have, all the talented writers we have, all of the great content. Produced daily, morning, afternoon, night, late night, weekends. Everything on the worldwide sports network can be found at those locations. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, WWSRN for iOS on our app, Worldwide Sports Network on Android for our app, or on our website, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Trust me, you'd be glad you did so. Ton of great content, ton of better content than what you listen to right here on the show. So you won't be disappointed. So I'll do it again for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on this Thursday. Appreciate all you tuned in. We'll be back on Monday as the NBA playoffs will be underway. We'll get into a ton of more topics as well. So enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.